West End Abbey is a contemplative vineyard church in the West End of Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada. This is a homily from one of our services. And despite the stone removed from the tomb, despite the angels in the tomb talking to Mary, despite Jesus outside the tomb talking to Mary, there is one thing that never crosses Mary's mind. Now, Mary had traveled with Jesus. She apparently supported him along with other women. She was there for all of the lectures and teaching, sermons. She was there for the miracles some of them fantastical. She was also there at the crucifixion and even at the burial. But despite knowing Jesus, despite traveling with Jesus, despite watching Jesus do all manner of things, preaching and proclaiming the kingdom, there's one thing that never crosses her mind on this morning. The only thing Mary knows, Mary Magdalene knows, is that the body is gone. And what she concludes, seeing that there is no body in the tomb, is probably what you and I would conclude. Someone has taken the body. This is thievery of the highest order or the lowest order. Someone has stolen this body and someone has put it, we know not where. And that is all that Mary thinks. That's all she thinks. That is her preoccupation. She says it this way to Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener. If you have carried him away, it's, so, it's the irony of all ironies, the one she's looking for, she's talking to, asking, where have you put him? If you've carried him away, gardener, tell me where you have laid him. Tell me where you have laid him. So what is the likelihood of stolen bodies, of the body being stolen? What is the likelihood that Mary is sniffing out the right trail? Right? Well, in that time, in Jesus' time, body stealing from tombs was very rare. It was a rarity, kind of like spring in Manitoba coming at the right time, you know? Jew Jewish people, when there was a death or when there was, you know, a loss of this kind, they would spend the next seven days after the death in mourning and grief. They, unlike a lot of Western-minded Western people, would express, not repress their grief. They didn't work, they didn't wash, they didn't even study the law, and they didn't have sex for, for at least seven days of mourning out of this desire to not repressed, but to express the full power of the grief. And so because of that, tomb visits were very frequent in the first week after a person dies. This is not a logical time for someone to steal a body when you never know who's going to be coming to and from the tomb in mourning, right? The second thing which Peter and the beloved disciple, who I think we know as John, who, who writes his own gospel, or at least was a follower of John, is there these linens left in the tomb? Think about that. If you were going to steal a body, would you unwrap the body of all of the linens and take essentially a naked crucified body like on your shoulder out of the tomb? 
you would not unwrap the body if you were if you were planning to steal it, right? So it's not likely, both because of the Jewish mourning and frequency of the tomb visits, as well as the fact that linens are still in the tomb, that the body was stolen. But there's this third very wonderful, interesting detail. One of the linens is off to the side, rolled up. If you would decide to steal the body, rare though it would be, and you did, in fact, unwrap the body, even more rare, why would you then put one of the linens off to the side and roll it up and leave it in the tomb. Neatness is not typical for robbers, right? <laughs> you know, you don't have people break into your house, smash the window, and then like arrange your dining table for your supper, right? Or like vacuum <laughs> or do some dusting like over the fireplace. Just make sure, I just want to make sure everything is prim and proper after this break-in. Um, no, people don't do that. Right? There are three things that make this exceedingly unlikely that the body was stolen. But Mary can only imagine that it was stolen because there's no body in the tomb. There is no body, no body, no buddy in the tomb. It must have been stolen. Right? Mary never, ever, ever thinks of resurrection. It never crosses her mind that an explanation for the empty tomb could be the resurrection of the Son of God. It never crosses her mind. Till Jesus says one word to her, her name, Mary. And suddenly, like, the lights in her brain and in her spirit and I imagine even the sun is now cresting over the horizon because it was dark, right? This is all happening in the dark. This twinkle of clarity, and she says, like probably from the depths of her being, my teacher, my teacher. Only God can reveal the resurrection. It confounds all of our ideas and all of our thinking. There is no logical explanation for this that we would even divert to the most unlikely explanation rather than believe the impossible, wonderful news of the resurrection. That is our default. That's Mary's default. Even though she may have wanted to believe that Jesus rose up from the dead, she could not imagine that that was true till she hears the risen Lord say her name. God alone can reveal the resurrection, and this is even the better news. God wants to reveal the resurrection to you personally by name. The risen Lord wants you personally to experience the truth and the beauty and the power of the resurrection. So what do we mean by resurrection? Resurrection is not resuscitation. This is not CPR delayed three days. It is not that breath just came back into the same old body of Christ and he woke up as if from a coma. Resurrection is something entirely new. Yes, the same body, but totally different. Apparently, Jesus can evaporate out of the grave clothes. Imagine he's wrapped around his head 
it's rolled around his head and the, the very roll of linen is still lying there like he floated right out of it. But yet Mary can hear him. He's audible. She can see him and apparently she grabs a hold of him. The resurrection appearances show Jesus to be flesh. He's eating fish. He's cooking breakfast. He's asking people to touch his hands and his side. He is embodied, but he's a different kind of body. That is resurrection. He is now imperishable. All of the trappings of death, all of the linens are not on him anymore. Like Lazarus, remember? Lazarus had to come out and then be unwrapped of all of his grave clothes. Jesus has zero grave clothes. They're in the tomb. He is not susceptible to death anymore, but he is still flesh and blood. That is very important to remember. The word was made flesh in in the nativity, and at the resurrection, there is still flesh. He is still embodied. It's just that his body has been resurrected and transformed. Immortal flesh, that's resurrection. And that is in nobody's grid. The Jews had some vague hope that one day the resurrection would be for everyone. It would happen altogether. Everyone would be raised at the resurrection. It only ever meant bodily resurrection. And this is mind-blowing for them because no, not everybody is being raised. Only Jesus is being raised. Immortal flesh. Death has no hold. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Well, one thing it means is that God is experienceable. Yes, we don't have the privilege of Mary seeing and hearing and touching Jesus, the risen Lord, literally, like her and the, the disciples and apostles did, but we can still see and hear and touch and feel God. God is alive. And if he's alive, that means he's experienceable. Also, this is really great news because this is the moment of new creation. New creation. You'll remember in the creation story in Genesis that God makes the world and makes human beings, and it's great. It's very good. And on the seventh day, God rested, right? Well, in this gospel that Doug read for us, John is very, very clearly writing with that theme in mind. It is very early on the first day of the week while it is still dark and Jesus has been laid in the tomb as it was on the Sabbath. This is the eighth day. It's a new day, new creation. And of course it happens in a garden and Jesus gets mistaken for the gardener. John is trying to give us a picture that this is the moment of something new being created, like a new world order, a new creation. And what this says to us is that Jesus reveals God's desire for us and for the whole universe. Jesus is like the sign of what's to happen for you and for me and for the entire creation. The same way that Jesus was raised from the dead will be the same way you and I are raised from the dead, in the flesh. So take care of your bodies. 
Although, of course, you know, my grandfather, he was very nervous about being cremated because he didn't know if he'd get resurrected. Well, the good news is if God can raise Jesus from linens and stone-covered tombs, he can raise whatever body or whatever remnants of body we have. And what he does in the body, he will also do for all of creation. God is making all things new is how we say it. And it's begun. Now, here's the funny thing. This whole new chapter in the story of God, this whole new creation thing has happened. But it doesn't sometimes feel like that for us. It doesn't feel like anything has happened. In fact, it feels like things are just getting worse, decaying and dying, and that the world is going from one mess to another mess, right? Well, when you were conceived, don't think too hard about that. When you were conceived... Something happened in your mother's womb that nobody in the whole world knew, including your parents. But it was this moment where forever your life was different. Their life was different. The world will now be different. It has a new being on the way. Well, similarly, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Jesus is birthed into new resurrection and births the world into new creation. And hardly anyone except Mary Magdalene had any clue about it. So I want to say finally that this ought to give us a twinkle of hope, if not a gush of hope. When you see things going terribly in your own life, when you experience suffering, when things are decaying or going rotten, or even when you see death in your own life, figuratively or literally, or in the world, in the very moment that you see that, I invite you to also see the hope of resurrection, that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he will raise you, and he will raise this universe, even if appearances look like the contrary. That is the Christian hope. It's not just being hopeful or optimistic or like the glass is half full kind of thinking. Hope is actually concrete in the body of Christ being raised. That if it happened to him in this way, it will happen to you and me and the entire universe. So it's not that we deny suffering or death and we pretend that it's not real. But right through the jaws of death, we see this is not the last word. The last word is resurrection and Jesus' body being raised from the tomb is the concrete hope that we tie our entire faith to. So take a few moments to sit with this story of resurrection to consider the unlikelihood of the body stolen. Consider the radical, crazy possibility that Jesus did in fact raise to life in the body. That Jesus is experienceable that new creation is happening 
that hope can be as real as the resurrection. And think for a moment precisely about where you want to see more of this actual resurrection life and power in your own life. Where do you need or want to be called by name by the risen Lord? Lord. 